Hi, Caleb. Hey, Mike. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I'm doing well. What are you drinking tonight? Tonight, I am drinking a Tom Collins. Oh. Um, but I, I, I switched up a little bit. I used an old Tom gin and uh, some gum syrup. So it's a little more complex, uh, but quite delightful since we're recording earlier. It, it has bubbles, so it feels like more of a, a day drinking kind of drink. Mm-hmm. How about you? I also have a day drinking gin drink. I have a gin and tonic, even fewer ingredients, but I'm using good tonic, the fever tree, oh, Indian, Indian style. That's a nice one. Yeah, they have a lot of different styles now. I didn't know which one to pick, so I uh, chose the one that they had in the bigger bottles, assuming that in the bigger volumes, those would be the more popular flavor. But they have like four or five now, so. Interesting. I wasn't it, sure. Got to get that quinine. I guess so, but they have a lot. I mean, they have uh, more herbal ones, more flower ones, and so this one, I guess, is the middle of the road one, so. What a time to be alive. It is. <laughs> Unlimited unlimited high quality tonic water at a price that uh, you probably shouldn't pay but what the hell <laughs> yolo mm-hmm. so what would you like to talk about tonight other than tonic water well tonight i thought we could talk about a new development in the tesla world of tesla energy and they recently opened up a new facility uh down in southern california of their new power packs and they've partnered with a local utility um to provide storage, energy storage for them. So this is not the power packs that go on the wall of your garage. This is more of an industrial usage? Yeah, exactly. So the ones that go in your home are their power wall product, uh, and those are like mm, 12, 14 kilowatt hour level uh, size. These are like 205 kilowatt hours. So each power pack, which is this big white uh, so it almost looks like a server rack, uh, if you're familiar with those, but it, they, they made them, uh, white, um, and they've got sort of a grill on the front. They've got the gray Tesla logo on it. And, uh, when they first introduced them a little over a year ago, they were a hundred kilowatt hour, um, storage. So, uh, similar to what you'd find in a high end, uh, Tesla P100. Uh, but they recently upped them to, uh, 200 five kilowatt hours in a pack. So the same physical size and they doubled the density. Uh, And so those are the ones that are now being actually deployed. And so uh, this facility has uh, 400 of them. So it's a 1.5 acres of land and there's just these power packs on them. And it's the uh, Mira Loma um, substation and uh, for the Southern California Edison utility. So essentially what it's doing is taking in uh, excess capacity from the grid uh, during the day, and then at night they can use it uh, to, um, sorry, let me flip that. They take in the electricity (laughs) at night uh, or when there's not as much demand, and then during the day or when it's hotter and people are turning on their air conditioning, uh, what it does is it allows them to not have to turn on uh, a special type of power plant um, called peakers, which we'll talk about. Um, and basically uh, reduce the amount of emissions and higher price electricity that the grid has to, um, that the utility has to turn on. So there's a bunch of benefits we can talk about, um, and I just thought it'd be kind of neat to sort of dissect what they're doing there, why it's interesting, talk a little bit about the grid in general. I think it's not something you learn about in school. At least I didn't learn about it in school. Like how does the electric grid work? Why why is it the way it is? It's pretty counterintuitive too. It doesn't work quite how you'd imagine. Yeah, and also how complex it is and one like one major facet that exactly the amount of power people consume has to be the exact amount of power that's 
like on the grid at that moment. That's the is, craziest part. It's yeah. so crazy. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess um, the the big thing about the Miraloma station, like why this happened, was uh, a little bit of background. Essentially, there was a um, uh, an ex- an environmental problem and, and explosion, I guess, of a uh, a natural gas. Um, pocket in California and they had to evacuate all the people who live there and basically a source of natural gas for Los Angeles was now not available about a year or so ago or it was it was a little bit too available yeah it sort of yeah it was uh it was leaking I think it was like the one of if not the largest like natural or environmental disaster the amount of like methane and gas that came out for for what like six seven eight months or something yeah, it was yeah, it was a natural gas reservoir, um, and it was called the Alizo Canyon. Um, and yeah, there was a huge leak in 2015, and apparently this is where uh, a lot of Southern California utilities got natural gas. And because uh, we still use natural gas for some of our power plants in Southern California and and all around the country, the U.S., uh, it basically meant that that would be at risk. And so in the summertime, uh, California and Southern California in particular have really high peak demand because of uh, all the air conditioning that's running. Um, And so in that case, they would have to turn on these power plants that are predominantly natural gas, and they were concerned that they wouldn't have enough uh, ability to meet that demand. And to what we're going to talk about, if you can't meet the demand, you're going to have brownouts and potentially blackouts. And so they uh, put out a call for uh, storage, and Tesla was one of the companies that won a contract. And so they did, yeah, that 80, um, 80 megawatt hours of storage and it produces it produces an output of twenty megawatts of power, um, so that twenty megawatts of power can be sustained for four hours. Uh, so th- they tried to you know make it equivalent for people to understand that that can sort of power fifteen thousand homes uh, for about four hours. So it's basically like if you go and buy a UPS for your home computer or server, you you've got a battery, it plugs into the power, and if your power goes out. Your battery, this battery will take over, and depending on how much load there is, it'll run for a certain amount of time, and it's kind of like that, except scaled up to a much to like kind of a grid size. Exactly, and also just like a UPS, uh, it switches over instantaneously. So um, as as demand rises and they need you know power right now, they can switch over to those batteries instantaneously, um, just as if it was a power. Uh, power plant essentially so and and then the other thing that's interesting is that it's at a substation and substations are one component of the grid but we'll jump in real quickly it's basically one of the places where the really high voltage power lines that you see like on the side of highways or like the really big tower ones come into a substation and then they get downstepped transformed into slightly lower voltage still really high voltage thousands and thousands of volts uh, which then goes out to your more commercial and residential uh, power lines. And so it isn't, you know, these these power packs are not at the power plants. They're at the substation. 
Um, and, and sort of what's interesting about that is that there's lots and lots and lots of substations for every power plant. Um, so for any one power plant, there's going to be many, many substations uh, closer to where the power is actually utilized. And so and all of these power uh, substations aren't, aren't that large. So what's important is that if you're going to deploy these batteries, you'd be pretty space efficient. So these battery packs are pretty space efficient. It only took 1.5 acres of land. Um, and so it wasn't a huge, huge space. And the other really important thing was that it was really quick for them to deploy. So, you know, to do a power plant could be five, six, seven years or longer uh, to go through the regulatory approval to add a new power plant, especially now with all the environmental regulations uh, that, that go into trying to create a new power plant. The, this Tesla um, location went from conception to live in 90 days. Uh, well, I mean, that kind of makes sense, right? You wouldn't want it to be built like a power plant because it's not originating the power, right? It's it's compensating for missing power. So you want it to be, it's not sort of an origin point. You want it to be along the transmission lines. Yeah, exactly. It's a it's a storage facility, um, and you want it, you know, you want it to be as close as possible. You're not going to want to step up the voltage. These are not super super high voltage uh, batteries. I mean, it, right? You could you could make it whatever voltage you want, but they're not they're not really intended for that. And so, um, yeah, I think that that's one of the things that JB Straubel, the CTO, had said was like we had people here around the clock. So I wouldn't say 90 days is the standard. Uh, I think they clearly wanted to get it in by the end of the year and had a deadline, but it just speaks to it wouldn't be uh, imp- impossible to imagine uh, adding many of these in a year and um, you know saying, okay, having a state or a country or a town say we want to put one of these in and having that thought and having it be live within a few months. Uh, and so sort of the reflexi- reflexibility of, of adding one isn't uh, nearly as slow as a traditional power plant uh, to uh, you know, meet new demand. Right. So I guess one of the other really important um, components here is uh, why is Tesla doing this? Um, What makes Tesla, which many of us think of as a car company, what are they doing with utilities? Um, And so this is this is Tesla, though, not like the solar city part of Tesla. This is like Tesla proper, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So this is definitely the Tesla proper team. Uh, and in 2015, in May, Elon gave a presentation uh, about Tesla Energy and talking about how it's sort of the third uh, leg of the stool for them. And this was before they acquired SolarCity, but they sort of had, you know, you need renewable generation, which is solar, which now we know they've acquired SolarCity to handle that piece. Uh, the sun only shines during the day. And so uh, even though the sun provides more than enough um, energy for everything we do on earth you can't use it at night and uh, and so you need some way to deal with nighttime usage so you need storage uh, and then you want transportation uh, which currently is almost 100 percent fossil fuels you need a uh, sustainable way to do that which is electric cars so it's kind of interesting tesla actually kind of started on the last end of that problem of the transport problem uh, and now is moving backwards uh, and so the, the battery storage is how they foresee making solar energy uh, 100% useful um, 
energy source. Uh, and so why Tesla is interesting here is obviously their battery expertise. It, they're, you know, they're, they're sort of the best company we know of to date that has deployed lithium-ion batteries at this sort of a scale um, at very large pack sizes that have very long durability uh, and, and sort of usage parameters. And they've basically taken that expertise, and they've talked about this both at that original event and even on the marketing pages for the power pack. You know, we have over a couple billion miles with Model S and Model X that we've used these pack designs for. And now we're going to take those power pack, that, that pack design and put it into a utility size um, utilization and, and capacity. So that's why Tesla is trying to do this. And I think they, they have both this utility scale product um, and then also what you had mentioned before of the power wall, which is the home size product, which is scaled down. So instead of having a really big uh, solar farm that you might have out in Hawaii or Arizona or something like that, you might have just the solar roof. And then how are you as an individual going to deal with the capacity? You're going to have a power wall so that at night it can draw from that and you don't have to be drawing from uh, the grid. So Tesla is, you know, working on both the uh, storage side here and they have that expertise. Uh, and so, you know, J.B. Straubel has even said that like they were working as fast as humanly possible uh, and also using all the capacity they have to try and scale up so they can meet this demand. Um, and, you know, what's cool is these power packs are actually using the new cells that are coming out of the Gigafactory. So for all the Model 3 listeners, uh, you know, one of the risk factors for Model 3 is that uh, the Gigafactory isn't able to produce the cells and make the packs uh, in enough volume and at high enough quality to meet the demands because the power, the, the Model 3 is going to be using the new cells right out of the, the Gigafactory. Um, and so what's cool is these power packs are actually using those new battery cells. So um, they're validating it for us and making sure they're actually able to hold their charge and they're <laughs> the right process and the right size and all the things. Uh, and, and, you know, there's like 800 Tesla's worth of cells out there in the Miraloma substation hanging out. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of cool too, that, uh, this is sort of the way that they scale up and, and sort of test the waters for the really, really big production volume ramp for these cells that, you know, the cells don't care uh, if they're in a, a power pack or in a car. And we believe that they're actually the same chemistry um, because very similar to the car, you charge them and you discharge them and recharge them and discharge them and recharge them. So um, they were actually sort of planning on them being a very similar um, usage model. So, so that was kind of cool to find out too. Interesting. So I guess one of the other sort of interesting uh, and important things here is like how much energy do you need to actually make this work? So, you know, 80 megawatts sounds like a lot, but when you think about how much electricity the U.S. uses just for electricity currently, uh, it's 16,000 gigawatts. So that would be 80 million power packs. So they just deployed 400. And <laughs> if you wanted to have the ability to, you know, sustain all the capacity in the US, that would be 80 million. So, you know, we're in the very first second of, <laughs> of this universe of, uh, of having battery packs out there. So this is super early days. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, so it's probably a good time to, to, to jump into this idea of uh, the power grid and why having some ab- some ability to store power is interesting or store electricity, I guess, in this case, um, because right now the, the and this this kind of blew my mind. There's there's a book that was that came out last summer about the power grid. And I, I heard the author being interviewed about it and hearing some of the things about the power grid are just amazing because it's this enormous, complex thing. And there's multiple interlocking areas of the country. And what blows my mind about it, and, and you alluded to this earlier, is that everything that's being produced has to be consumed. Like there's mm-hmm. no excess storage of it anywhere. So and and there's no control whatsoever on how much is being used because anyone can plug in anything and turn on an appliance or plug in a car and there's so there's like a a very finite number of power plants and an almost infinite number of completely out of control sinks that are actually using all the power and somehow this all gets balanced and that's just mind-blowing yeah absolutely i mean i i think that is i think um was this a book the grid i guess just titled the grid um, I think one? so. Yeah, I know Bill Gates recommended one this year from his reading list, and I I have it, and I I want to read it and finish it, and uh, and probably do an episode after I finish it. But <laughs> I totally agree, and I yeah, think, it's called the grid, the, the yeah. grid, the fraying wires between Americans and our energy future. Yeah, so I, I have that on Audible, so I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to it, and we'll do a we'll do a um we'll do a episode uh, more deep dive into the grid. <laughs> well, they and I should say they they actually are a couple of places where they do try and do some storage but they yeah. don't, they can't we can't actually store electricity so that we actually convert it into a potential energy in places that have like water yeah in places that have water they'll pump water up into a reservoir like up a mountain and then when they need the power they'll run it back down and basically do hydropower and in Utah they actually have a train that runs they don't have a lot of extra water so they have a train that they a really heavy train they push up a mountain and with electricity with the spare electricity and when they need the electricity they'll let the train run down and generate electricity and then in the midwest where they don't have hills they actually have um, old salt mines that that apparently they'll pump compressed air into and then use that to release out uh, when they need to generate electricity which is pretty crazy um but even that is very very limited and those are the only things that that we've tried so far Mm -hmm. yeah and so you know there's lots of different types of batteries and uh those are sort of physical physical batteries with using gravity as sort of the uh the delta and then we've got chemical batteries and there have been attempts at uh battery storage uh using like lead acid batteries and others but They've just never been uh, economical, and so it always made more sense to uh, use power plants and fossil fuels to meet this um, ever sh- like changing demand. Um, and I think one of the things that you know was really critical to this uh, happening in the grid forming was actually in the very early days of electricity in the eighteen fifties to eighteen eighties. We thought we were going to be on DC, which was from Edison and direct current. Uh, and, you know, people would generate electricity at their own factory. Uh, and one of the challenges was that you really couldn't take direct current at that time more than a few miles uh, without losing uh, way too much to resistance. Um, and so it took uh, alternating current, AC, which was actually sort of pioneered by Nikola Tesla, uh, interesting connection there, obviously, um, <laughs> to realize that uh, to go longer distances, uh, you'd actually want to keep uh, the charge and the phase, you know, 
moving around the, the cable instead of uh, flowing through just one direction. And so that's where the 60 hertz comes from, at least in the U.S., uh, of sort of the oscillation between two sides of the of the coil. And so what's really crazy is, you know, the the power is always in the in the wires and and sort of oscillating, uh, and then we pull the electrons out, and and then the uh, the power plants have to add more electrons back in, uh, and that yeah, balancing all of that across a grid with so many unknown players is incredible that they do it with almost no buffer. Yeah. I mean, it's like it, it's like running a really, really big website with no cache and <laughs> having to spin up servers instantaneously. And even like web servers don't do that very well. And we always add caches, which are basically, you know, sinks for uh, holding, holding some intermittent uh, <laughs> capacity. So the batteries are really going to enable a whole new class of, of power because they they even i was reading a department of energy report uh and and they were like yeah there is no cost effective uh buffer uh and this was in 2014 2015 rather um and and so what they were talking about was basically you know there's two classes of power plants in most systems there's base load power plants like nuclear and uh and some of the more efficient hydro and things where they are trying to cover the base load that you're going to use regardless. Like even at low usage, there's always some usage on the grid. And then you've got what they call peaker plants where uh, during uh, the middle of the day and nighttime when people are coming home, you need more energy in the grid. And so they'll turn on these uh, oil oil powered plants or natural gas powered plants, which have a really quick turn on time. Like they can literally turn them on, uh, in minutes and hours versus tens of hours for nuclear plants. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's like a weird correlation as we get more and more renewable energy plants online, they all, almost all of them have like a corresponding fossil fuel peaker plant. And it's this weird thing where we're, as we do more clean stuff, we have to like keep around or, or add any of these like dirty plants to kind of balance them out. Yeah. And one of the other big facilities that Tesla did was actually out on Kauai and Hawaii is really a great example of sort of the extreme of what a power uh, production system is like because they are on an Island and so <laughs> they need to bring in the fuel and the fuel has to come in on a boat. So their cost of fuel is much higher than it would be, say, in West Virginia or Pennsylvania, where coal is very readily available. Um, and so their cost of electricity is much higher. So when they're making the decision on the marginal amount of electricity they need to add to the grid, uh, they were able to realize that uh, solar was really great. But what ended up happening was there's so much solar capacity now on, on Kauai that when a cloud comes over, it disrupts the grid because it disrupts that ability that people are still using their TVs and air conditioners and businesses are still running and computers are still running. But they have so much dependence on these uh, renewables now that they actually can't fill that demand fast enough. And they don't want to build new uh, peaker plants like fossil fuel plants. Right. So Tesla came in and they've built uh, another power pack plant. Um, it was a little bit smaller than the Miraloma plant, but, but similar class, 50, 45 sort of kilowatt, um, megawatt uh, level. And yeah, that's going to be really, really important when you add more and more renewables because it helps 
especially when, when the, the sun goes down, you have to meet where that capacity was coming from instantaneously. So you have to switch over to those batteries right away. Um, so even in like a traditional environment like the Sun Edison, where the majority is still coming from fossil fuel plants, it's still useful because it helps reduce the need to burn even less efficient fuels. Um, like they, they even will they'll burn basically gasoline generators sometimes. Um, <laughs> so it's a very small percentage, but it does. it's a much larger percentage of the peaker. Uh, plant. So it does help clean up the grid, even in an environment where the base power is coming from natural gas, for instance. That's wild. Yeah. The, the, um, the author was also talking in the, in that book was also talking about, uh, wind power being one that's highly variable and isn't as, uh, attuned to the night day cycle because it can get windy at night. And I think there was a, a, a utility somewhere in Texas that basically electricity was, f- they made electricity free after 9 p.m. at night because they had so much wind power that they needed to have have it burned off. So, you know, if you wanted to wait until after 9 to do run your dishwasher or your laundry or whatever, it would be free, which is right. kind of, or charging up your car, I guess, which is, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's one of the other crazy thing is the power has to be used. Otherwise, I have to turn off other power plants. So, and, oh, and the other, the, another interesting part on that too is that because of all the uh, deregu- or regulation or deregulation that we've done uh, over the past few decades, got to be one of those. <laughs> it's one of the two, um, <laughs> bundling or unbundling, um, that the, uh, the generation is almost always separate from the distribution. So the companies mm-hmm. that run the distribution of getting it through uh, across the lines and into your house, like your PGE or your Con Ed or whoever, um, are a separate company than the ones that run the power plants. And what's interesting is that the monetary incentives are different. So essentially they need to, like, you can actually just like disconnect the wind turbines and say like, you know, just let them spin and don't generate electricity. But the people that run the wind turbines only make money when that is spitting out electricity. (laughs) And so the people that are trying to balance the grid, there's a, there's a sort of a financial disconnect where they might want some of the wind turbines shut off in this particular example, but the company that runs the wind turbines has no interest in shutting them off. So they want to keep pumping the power in because they're not making any money otherwise. And it's kind of a weird sort of uh, patchwork system. Yeah. And, and also, you know, similar challenge with people who have solar panels on the roof. One of the main reasons that they've been cost effective for many people, at least in the United States, is that they can sell some of the electricity back to the grid. Um, and right. Well, they have to. Like, you don't actually, for most of the installs, you actually, all your power goes into the grid and it like offsets on your bill. Yeah. But if and, there's a blackout, like your, your, your solar panels are not powering your house in most cases. Well, and, and then the challenge is that now many of the utilities uh, have an abundance of, of solar power and they don't want to pay uh, for that coming in anymore or they want to reduce the rate to a very, very low rate and because it, it typically has been at the retail price. Um, and they want to sell it. They want to pay you at the wholesale price, which is obviously much lower. Um, and so that's been a, a source of, of, of um, pain for a lot of people who have purchased solar panels and you know can't recoup their their costs as easily. But I think when you understand what's happening with the grid, it's actually a problem if too many people get solar pa- panels and try and uh, all push all that energy into the grid um, because now they've got two, two problems to deal with. They, they not only have a consumption problem where they control the supply of power, they now have an uncontrolled amount of supply and an uncontrolled amount of demand. 
Uh, and then as you add in all these electric cars as well, um, it's definitely unclear exactly what's going to happen to the grid. And I think it's definitely one of those systems where people take it for granted, like water and plumbing, that, uh, you know, it just works and you plug something in and it and it's amazing. It's sort of a modern miracle that it actually always plugs, you know, always works, at least in the in the developed world. Especially given the the radically different like uses pattern we've had over time too it it like it always works but the amount that we're drawing and the patterns that we're drawing them are have been very different over time yeah and 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 i think that's going to be one of the things that tesla can has a really strong value proposition to these utilities of look we can help solve one of the problems that has been intractable of that you currently have had to operate under the assumption that every single watt of power that is being pulled out or that you generate has to be consumed instantaneously. And anytime someone wants another incremental watt of power, you have to be there right that moment, creating it from a, like an original power source, a turbine spinning. And what batteries allow is for this buffer. And that even if they don't use the, even if the batteries are only good for a few hours of usage, it at least gives you time to spin up the power plant or uh, to, you know, be able to meet. Maybe there's only one or two hours of really peak usage and then it goes below because you have to be one of the big challenges as well, as you know, obviously, in the in the tech and sort of computing world is that peak demand and baseload demand. You have to always have enough capacity to deal with peak demand and in the historical computing world that meant you'd have to have a really really big server and a lot of times it wouldn't be used all the time and so you're paying a lot of money for something that's being underutilized and what's been interesting in the computing world has been saying we're going to subdivide our systems our computing systems into smaller and smaller chunks and figure out how to turn them on faster and interconnect them quicker and you know there's an interesting parallel to be drawn to the grid where you know we've got a couple thousand, five, six, seven thousand power plants for millions and millions and millions of homes. Uh, what happens when you actually uh, slice up power generation into a lot smaller pieces, a la wind turbines and uh, power on people's homes, and and then have a way to more reflexively turn it on and off, aka batteries? Um, I think there's some interesting parallels there uh, that haven't fully been explored. And obviously, the power industry hasn't been able to even build any systems to, uh, to operate in that world because it's just it's been impossible. There, there has been no way to store energy efficiently. And now with Tesla coming online and other companies as well, it starts to become feasible. And when, when something that big changes, uh, lots of new things become possible. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's also interesting that the sort of time frames that that these uh, sort of regulated utilities work at are a lot different than what a small uh, or relatively small uh, new company like Tesla works at. Uh, so it's kind of interesting, and even just technology, like technology has changed pretty radically uh, in the past couple of decades, and and you know the the power plants aren't that all that different. Right. And obviously the, the, like the efficiency of power plants isn't increasing that greatly. Um, you know, at that scale, they're quite efficient for what they're doing. They're doing their best to get as much energy, uh, into electrons from that, that source fuel. So there haven't been really big breakthroughs in 
coal power plants, fossil fuel, like uh, natural gas power plants. We're still waiting for cold fusion. Yeah, exactly. Like there, there has not been a huge breakthrough in generation. But then you look at the curves of solar panels and of batteries, and those are still on a predictable and uh, monotonically increasing uh, scale. And so what's really interesting and, and powerful is that if this starts to work well now in Hawaii and in parts of California for a small percentage of energy that would be sort of the incrementally most expensive energy, as time goes on and that 5 to 7% improvement rate every single year keeps happening, it starts to make sense more and more every single year. And that's a new phenomenon for the, the power generation industry. It, it, they haven't seen that kind of rate of change ever. Um, and so it sort of opens up new opportunities for companies like Tesla to enter this field and have a really big impact in a much faster way than you would expect most traditional energy companies to, because there's fundamental technology changing that uh, wasn't available even a few years ago. Like it, it didn't make sense even a few years ago to do this, and now it does. So you, you, you project even 10 years into the future how much battery storage is there. And, and Tesla expects that by 2020, uh, they'll be doing um, many, many gigawatts of power, upwards of 35. So they expect they're going to be doing a very large percentage of the first gigafactory will be dedicated just to energy storage. Um, yeah, and so it's interesting that the, it's, not a, it's not like they're going to keep trying to build out bigger and bigger battery installs. Like the, the size of the battery install they have is probably, you know, reasonable and it just needs to be distributed widely like it, it actually would be very beneficial to have these like you know relatively small battery packs at all the different substations around like that is it becomes really really interesting and it's not like they have to you know work it up to where they have like a 200 gigawatt like 50 story battery tower or something like that's not really the end goal the end goal is is like you say like driving towards this more decentralization of of power generation and power storage yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the thing also that makes it really a lot faster for deployment is when you can go to a particular utility and say, we, we can solve a very particular problem where you don't have to add another power plant or you can take offline a power plant that's aging and you would have to spend a lot of money on the repairs of it. That's really, really powerful um, versus saying you have to commit to a $100 million power plant. So it, you know, when the price of something is lower and its deployment cost is lower and there's less regulation to make it happen, those products tend to be absorbed much faster. And so I think even though many people do not think of Tesla as an energy company, I think it's very clear they will have a meaningful impact on storage of energy, both at the grid level and at the home level. And what's funny is that it actually has, it makes more sense today at the grid level than it does in homes because uh, we pay a very low price, at least in the U.S., for electricity uh, relative to its, its sort of value to us. And when you run the economics on having a battery in your home, in most cases, it doesn't make sense economically, the payoff period. Uh, but for, for utilities, it really does because there's those step functions of, well, we have to go build a new power plant. And if this can prevent us from building a new power plant, that's a really, really big deal. Um, so it's sort of a, an unsexy area of Tesla's business, <laughs> but I think it's definitely going to be a, a growing and, and more important piece. Cool. Yeah. Well, it seems like it'll help with the robustness of the power of the electric grid too, which is nice because apparently 
like I think the numbers, the stats on on brownouts and blackouts have actually been growing noticeably uh, in the in recent decades uh, with all the power generation and the centralization of the of the power grid. So anything that can help with that is also really good. Yeah, I mean, I think that clearly the thing that leads people into being more and more or, or the thing that is insatiable is a desire for more energy. And as societies continue to advance, they, they consume more energy. And as much as we do more to conserve and, uh, and be more efficient, we are converting more and more things to electricity, and eventually that electricity will be more and more renewable. And, you know, for electricity usage right now, it's about a third of the total energy usage uh, of the U.S. is for electricity, and one third is for heating and cooling, and another third is for transportation. And so as transportation moves to electric, it creates even more demand for more electricity. And as heating and cooling moves to electricity and away from oil and gas, it creates even more demand. So there's no, there's no immediate future where we actually are using less electricity than we are now. So we both need more electricity and more storage to deal with this increasing demand on the grid, uh, which is aging and hasn't been getting much uh, investment uh, from the federal government. So, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how Tesla uh, participates here. So it'll be fun to watch. And I think in this next earnings call, which will be happening shortly, uh, we'll probably get our first inklings of how material this is to their business because it isn't uh it isn't nearly the same level of revenue as the vehicles but at some point even elon musk has said he expects that energy might produce more revenue for the company than the vehicles so so that'll be uh many years away still but an interesting crossover point interesting so do you, one quick final question before we totally wrap up but uh as tesla is preparing to ro- roll out uh like hundreds of thousands of like essentially scaling out electric vehicles. Do you think there's been any sort of coordination with power utilities that like in 2018, there could be hundreds of thousands of new car batteries being plugged in? I don't, I don't know. Uh, my, my guess is not yet. Uh, I think the biggest inclination that we have that potentially some utilities are noticing is like PG&E here in California is starting to do programs to pay for, like they've, they've requested from California a bond to pay for putting charging locations in the people's homes, like thousands of them. So I think they're starting to realize that they have a pretty big business opportunity ahead of them to supply the, the energy that's going to go into these cars where previously they had no, you know, no way to participate in transportation. So I think they know that it's happening. But I don't know of many new power plants happening here in California, for instance. So we're going to be importing that from other states. Um, so I don't know if they'll be as prepared as the rate of adoption will be. So that that could be a really uh, unfortunate <laughs> situation that you can't charge your car because you're causing brownouts. But it's ne- I, I mean, that would be unprecedented, right? Like yeah, a, a brownouts technolog- at, at night, too. So like, you know, you'd wake up and your alarm wouldn't be going off or something because you're you browned out at night. Yeah, I think the biggest thing you might see is just like we saw in the Chevy Bolt, more enforcement and, and incentives to charge only at night uh, to take up the capacity and basically run, they're basically running at peak all the time. Uh, and they just need to make sure that the peaks don't get higher. Uh, might be the only way to do it in the short term. 
Right. Uh, that's another sales pitch for the Tesla batteries at the substations, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I think they, they're sort of like the, uh, a little bit like the, uh, a shakedown. It's like, well, <laughs> it'd be a terrible, terrible thing if we caused you a brownout with our amazing vehicles. Uh, maybe you could buy some insurance by buying these battery packs. It's a deal you can't refuse. You cannot refuse. Cool. <laughs> so where can people contact us about their uh, Tesla energy questions and comments? Yeah, as always, you can uh, tweet us at the Tesla show uh, on twitter.com. Uh, you can reach us on Reddit on our subreddit at r slash the Tesla show or on the World Wide Web at our website at www dot the tesla show dot com do i need to add the www no i don't know why i did that was a rhetorical flourish i apologize okay okay that sounds good <laughs> I, I i can never hey remember. i didn't call you out for mispronouncing nuclear so don't call me out for the dub 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 well i think the nuclear and dub 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 sort of go with the the uh, mr george bush but uh, uh all right it's a wash it's a wash all right talk to you later mike all right bye <laughs>